0: Well, good morning. We are back in the Gospel of Mark together as a church. During the season of Lent, we took a few weeks off to examine Paul's letter to the Church of Rome and talked about a salvation in Christ. But today we jump back into this series in Mark that we've entitled, Truly This Man. And in this series, our hope each week is to look at a passage and ask the question, Who is Jesus and why did he come? And today we're going to look at Mark 6 together as a congregation. But before we do, let me just pray for us. Father, I thank you that you know each person here. You know the mourning we've had. You know the frustrations we're going through. You know the joys we've experienced and the pain and the suffering we've gone through. You know the questions and the doubts. You know the pride and the resentment we might have. You know all the things that we try to hide from others. And you look at us in love. And you desire to feed us and challenge us and encourage us. Father, thank you that you can meet each one of us where we are uh, by your spirit during this time. In your name, amen. So some of you know that uh, I am a big sports fan and my wife is not. And this leads to some interesting interactions in our home at times. Remember a few years ago, I was watching a game and the game ended and I got online and I watched some of the highlights. My wife came up to me and she said, you just watched that game. And I was like, yes. And she's like, and now you are watching the highlights of the game that you just watched. And I was like, yes. And she's like, and you're probably going to read about this game tomorrow. And I was like, of course. And I tried to explain to her that I like to see the game from different perspectives. I like to get a different view of the game that I just watched and a different maybe angle of what I was experiencing as I watched the game. I still to this day have not convinced my wife of my logic, but that is what I'm going to stick with. But you know, there are times in Scripture when we actually get to do this very thing. There are times in Scripture where we actually get to look at a story from various perspectives or angles. There are a few times where we get to see uh, a story or an event that multiple authors give us with subtle differences between them. In today's passage, The Feeding of the 5,000, is one of those such passages. In fact, outside of the resurrection of Jesus, this is the only miracle that is found in all four Gospels. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record this event in the life of Jesus. But each one of them have distinct elements or subtle differences that you can see in regards to this story. I would actually encourage you this week, if you have time, to actually read the other three. To look at how different they are to Mark and what we can learn as we examine all four together. But tonight, since we are today, since we are in uh, the series of Mark, we're going to look at how he intentionally chooses certain things that he highlights and words that he gives us to help us understand some important truths about this Jesus that we worship. So we're going to look at Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 30. I'm going to read that for us now and you could follow along in your order of worship. Or in a Bible, you could just listen as I read. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that he had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourself to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot, from all the towns, and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them to all sit in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in the groups by hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing, and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And he took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of fish, and those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. This is God's word, and it is given to us for our good. Well, back in 2004, I took my first job as a pastor after seminary. We graduated from seminary, and we headed to a church near Atlanta, Georgia, and I was an assistant pastor there for about six years. And I remember when I first got there, I was assigned to preach within the first month, and I was very nervous. I had preached before, but this was my first time preaching as a pastor. It was my first time preaching to this congregation that I now was serving, and it was the first time preaching in this different context than I was used to. So I was very nervous. And I began to prepare my pet talk for a while, and it got to be about Friday of that day, and I knew that I wanted to practice my sermon in the room that I was going to preach in. The church that we met in was like a warehouse building, so there was this big open room with chairs and a stage and a podium, and so I brought my manuscript and my Bible, and I went into this empty room, and I preached out loud to prepare myself. And as I was preaching, I was practicing looking down and looking up. I was practicing how I should look at all different parts of the room. Even though the room was empty, I wanted to prepare myself for how I would view people as I'm preaching to them. And I was about halfway through my sermon, and all of a sudden I looked, and in the middle aisle, right there in the center, was a UPS guy standing there with a package in his hand. And he looks at me kind of timidly, and he says, Do you want me just to put this package down here? I have no idea how long he had been standing there watching me preach in an empty room. I was mortified, and to this day, I have never practiced a sermon in a room that I can't shut the door and make sure no one comes in. This guy had no idea what was going on, and I can't imagine what it felt like for him to walk into this empty room and see this guy just talking to no one out loud boldly. You know, this UPS guy had no idea that this was my first time preaching and so I was needing to practice. He had no idea that this was a new room and a new congregation for me. And so because he didn't know these things, it truly affected what he thought about me and the situation. Well, I share that as an illustration to what I think is going on in this passage before us today. As I've already said, this series in the book of Mark is about who is Jesus. And each week, we examine how Mark reveals Jesus to the crowds, to the disciples, and to us as well. And again and again and again, we see confusion and misunderstanding about who is Jesus and what he is doing. Here in our account, we actually see the crowds are still excited and growing in interest of Jesus Fascinating story. I can't imagine what it looked like to see Jesus in a boat with his disciples while the crowds are running alongside the lake to get to the other side to beat him there, to listen to him. What we also have, though, here in this section is that the, the disciples themselves miss the significance of what they are witnessing. In the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples get a first-hand glimpse of the compassion and the power of Jesus, and they miss it again. In this feeding, we see the kingdom of God coming through Jesus as the Son of God, and it goes right past the disciples, and they miss it again. In fact, in the very next section in Mark, which I believe Pastor Aaron is preaching on next week, we hear these words that Jesus said about the disciples. They did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. What we have in this account is an amazing miracle of Jesus. This story Mark records shows once again Jesus doing very powerful things. He takes five loaves and two fish and he feeds thousands of hungry people. And often when Mark describes a miracle of any sort in his, in his book, he also gives us the response to the miracle. A response of awe, of amazement, of fear, of wonder. But here in this account, we see no response at all given. No one seems to notice the amazing thing that Jesus does. Now, perhaps the crowds just thought that Jesus had some bread in the boat and he was just feeding them with the resources that he had. But we know the disciples saw this as a miracle. They saw firsthand what Jesus did and they missed the miracle completely. Why? Well, I think at this point, the disciples still had a wrong view of who Jesus was. They still were looking at Jesus to be the the leader, to, to help fight against the Roman power of the day. They saw Jesus as this great teacher, this great role model, this great guy, this great leader. But they did not see him yet as he truly is. The Son of God coming to bring God's kingdom and power into this broken world. Now, we can't escape the call to ask ourselves, are we any different than the disciples today? How often is our view of Jesus not complete? How often do we, in in our actions and in our thoughts, just treat Jesus like he's just a good example for us to follow? Like he's a good teacher for us to learn what to do or not do? Like he's a guide to help us get what we want? You know, maybe some of us in this room today are a little hard-hearted or jaded when it comes to Jesus. Maybe some of us are so longing for Jesus to do something for us in our lives that we're missing the true nature of Jesus because we're looking for something that he hasn't promised to give us yet. You know, if you were with us last week in church, I made an announcement about a new course that we're offering here as a church called Christianity Explored. And in a a few weeks, actually starting next week, we're going to have a dinner. And then for eight weeks, a group of us are just going to look at who is Jesus and why does he matter? And I want to encourage you, if you or you know someone who would like to learn and just explore together with a group of people, who is Jesus? Please talk to me. I would love to walk down that path with you about trying to understand who is Jesus and why did he come? But whether you are new to the church or new to Jesus, or you don't remember a day that you haven't been in church, we all have to be aware of how easy it is to miss Jesus, to miss the rich truths of who he is in our day-to-day lives. Mark has this perspective on this feeding of the 5,000, and it's important for us to see what he's trying to get us to understand about Jesus. And the way that we can get at this is by looking at the context of where Mark has placed this story and what's surrounding this story in his gospel. You know, we cannot miss the story that Mark told just before this one in his gospel. It's been a while since we as a church have been looking at the gospel of Mark, but the last time Pastor Aaron preached, he preached about King Herod's feast of exotic fanfare and dancing girls that ended with John the Baptist's head on the platter. Now, the contrast between these two meals is very clear. The food is different. The crowd is different. And the host is especially different. Unlike Herod, whose banquet had the primary purpose of trying to boister his position before the crowds, Jesus in this banquet is looking to minister to the needs of the crowd. Jesus' compassion on the multitudes and the manner in which he satisfies them is in dramatic contrast to Herod's self-seeking deadly party. And as well, contextually, we can understand something when we see how Jesus describes the crowd that he sees. In verse 34, when Jesus says, they are like sheep without a shepherd. This is a biblical illusion that we find throughout Scripture about people of God not having a leader or a king to help guide them and provide for them. We know that King Herod is not even a true king, and he's definitely not leading these people down the right path. And we also know again and again, you could read in the passages in the Old Testament about God's people having no leader or shepherd in their life because the shepherds fail at their calling. In fact, the passage that Kelly read to us in the Old Testament from Ezekiel about God being our shepherd to lead us, the reason God has to do that is earlier in Ezekiel 34, he says, the shepherds that were supposed to lead you are only feeding themselves and not you. So God had to step in because they were a leaderless, empty folks that needed direction. You know, Mark wants us to see here in this story what another gospel writer says in words. Jesus is our good shepherd. Jesus is what we recited in our assurance of pardon today. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads us. He restores us. He protects us. Jesus is the true shepherd that satisfies us completely. In what he does and who he is, he reaches out and serves needy sheep like you and me. The scriptures over and over again call us sheep. And sheep are particularly non-self-sufficient. They are utterly dependent upon the shepherd for protection and feeding. The shepherd serves as a protector, a physician, a provider, a leader, and an owner. And sheep are dependent upon the shepherd for absolutely every part of their lives. And the fact that we don't live like this is true doesn't change the fact that it is true. The fact that the world tells us you can do and be whatever you want and you don't need anyone to lead you and help you and guide you, just do it on your own. The fact that we don't often want a leader because it might tell us, he might tell us to do something we don't want to do. The fact that we think we've got it all together and that we're not like sheep, in fact we're in control, doesn't change the reality that not only are we sheep, but that we need a shepherd to come and lead us and eventually die for his sheep to give us life. We have a God who loves us enough to die for us, who cares enough for us to do whatever it takes to lead and guide and protect us. Here in our passage, we see Jesus sees the crowd, and Mark uses a word he doesn't use often, that Jesus has deep compassion towards the crowds. This word compassion literally means he was moved to the bottom of his being. His heart goes out to them. He has deep pity and love and care from the deep bowels within. Now it is hard, I know, to believe this at times, especially when we're struggling. It is hard to believe this when it seems like everything and everyone is against us. It is hard when we feel like God doesn't listen, God doesn't help, God doesn't care. But I want to just challenge you and encourage you and myself that despite the reality of pain and suffering, despite the fact that we are going to struggle while we live in this world, we do have a God who cares deeply for us and our needs. He knows about that family situation you're going through right now that's consuming you. He knows about that pain that you're carrying that affects everything you do in your life. He knows what wakes you up in the middle of the night in fear. And he knows what drives you throughout the day as you experience anxiety or depression or just anger. God not only knows, but he cares and he offers himself to us. God not only knows, but he offers us the only hope that we can have, true rest in the midst of our pain. In fact, one of the other gospel writers, Matthew, puts these words from Jesus' lips, to you and me today. Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. May we see and believe this in our day-to-day lives. And may we see that Jesus offers compassion to us and how he serves us. Here in our account, we see how Jesus helps these wandering crowds that are longing for direction. Jesus turns, sees the crowds that need a leader. And what does Mark say that he does? He teaches them. He teaches him his word. This whole crowd is without direction and purpose and without a leader. And Jesus takes the time to teach them. And the good news is that we today can still be taught by Jesus. We today, as we listen to his word, as we spend time examining who he is in the scriptures, as we spend time in our small groups or here at the church in a Bible study, just listening to God's word, we get to experience Jesus teaching us today. And it is a good thing that we have many places in this church that can offer you the opportunity to learn about Jesus. And if you would like to learn what those opportunities are, I would love to talk to you. I would love to help you and help me grow in our understanding of what Jesus teaches us. But we must not forget that the focus of learning about Jesus is not just for head knowledge. It's not just to give us rules to follow. It's not just advice to make us feel better. Notice here in Mark, as he often does, he doesn't give us any of the teaching Jesus gave. Mark doesn't emphasize the words but rather the man behind the words. We don't follow rules and guidelines. We follow a person, Jesus. And this person is full of deep compassion for herdy, needy people like you and me. And we see this played out not just in the fact that he teaches this crowd, but he provides a feast for this crowd to feed their souls and to feed their hunger. This is a pretty amazing miracle. I wish we had more details on how it went down. We could just stop right now and pause at the power of Jesus displayed here. Jesus is not bound by the rules of normal experience of what is possible and what is impossible. If we're asking the question each week, who is Jesus? Mark tells us he is the one who walks on water. He is the one who heals people. He is the one who raises people from the dead. He is the one who takes five loaves and two fishes and feeds thousands of people. But we see something more in this miracle than just the power of Jesus. We see his position and who he is in the biblical story. In fact, as you notice maybe when I read this story, a few times Mark mentions the word desolate place, which means they were like in a wilderness. And this is a story that most scholars agree is an echo of Moses back in the Old Testament when the Israelites were in the desert. They were in the desolate place, and God fed them manna from heaven. God fed the people back then with bread, and now Jesus, as the Son of God, feeds these people in this wilderness With bread. He is the true shepherd king. He is far greater than Moses, and he can be trusted to provide what is needed in the desolate places of our souls and our lives. And you know, one of the things that I absolutely love, and I had never noticed this in the many times that I've read this passage, but as I prepared for this sermon, there's a small detail in verse thirty-nine that just struck me. It says that Jesus had the people sit down in green grass. Now again, Mark made sure we understood that this is a desolate place, it is a wilderness place, and yet Jesus allows these people to sit or lie down in the grass. Well remember what our assurance of pardon said, "The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures." This Jesus ultimately provides what we need, and the gentle direction and guidance that Jesus gives, he takes small, insignificant things, like a few loaves of bread, and he turns it into a a, a magnificent feast with leftovers. And how does he do this? How does this come about? How does he minister to this crowd of lost and longing sheep? Well, I like that we kind of get to see this interaction between him and the disciples. We read that, you know, disciples come to Jesus after he have been preaching for a long time. And he says, Jesus, uh, we need to send them away. We don't have any food. He, they need to go to the villages and, and provide, get them food because they're going to be hungry. And Jesus says to them in verse 37, you give them something to eat. Now, why does Jesus say this? What is this all about? Well, I think Jesus wants the disciples to see the need. To see the crowds and not just try to send them away, to perhaps grow in their compassion towards them like Jesus had. To see others' needs more important than their own needs. And that's why perhaps Jesus turned it on them and said, you give them something to eat. Now, I have to tell you that there's a part of this passage that has always bothered me. And as I began to prepare this week and look at some commentaries on this passage, I actually got more bothered by this very thing. I read in a few commentaries how wonderful it is that Jesus sees that these disciples are tired and he offers them rest. How our God cares for us to have rest. And this is true. But in this account, at the beginning, the disciples are tired and they are hungry. They've been on mission serving God's kingdom and now they're back with Jesus and Jesus knows they're exhausted. And he says, come, let's go away to a desolate place and let's rest But we know what happens. They get to the spot they're supposed to rest and instead the crowd overtakes them. Now, if I was one of the disciples, I would be very frustrated at the crowds. And I probably would be very frustrated that Jesus didn't just ignore the crowds and do what he told me he was gonna do. Give me rest. It is hard, right? When we feel drained, when we feel exhausted, when we feel down, and yet God still calls us to serve someone else. It is hard when life is rough, and life is painful, and life is a struggle, and yet God still says, I want you to love them. It is hard that we are called to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. The great commandment, what all the law is summed up in, is the fact that we are to love others like we love ourselves. And this is what Jesus is teaching the disciples here. What did they want? They wanted to be with Jesus, they wanted to rest, and they wanted food. And what are they having to do now? Be sent by Jesus to give the food to the people that are there. Jesus graciously challenges their self-centeredness, and he challenges yours and mine as well. Often in our lives, in different situations, he looks to us and he says, You give them something to eat. You serve these people. You sacrifice for these people. Now, just to be clear so that you don't get discouraged and think that Jesus is asking too much of you, let me just let you know he is 100% giving you way too much than you can do. The minute Jesus place the responsibility upon the disciples to feed the people, Jesus was showing that they did not have what it takes to meet the needs that he calls them to. They honestly could not do what they were asked to do unless Jesus did what he did. And in the same way, we cannot do anything that we're called to do by Jesus without his power providing what we need. The more we realize that we do not have what it takes The more we realize that the little we have, the weakness we feel, the failures we've experienced is exactly what Jesus uses to help others. The more we will be able to affirm, like the Apostle Paul said in one of his letters, when I am weak, then I am strong. Brothers and sisters, in the hands of Jesus, the insignificant becomes significant. I mean, think about this miracle here. Jesus did not need five loaves and two fish. He could have just provided all the bread from thin air. But he takes the little that the disciples have and multiplies it and serves the people around them. Jesus often uses the inadequate resources that you and I have for his kingdom and for his glory. And we need to rest in that, not in our strength and in our ability, but in our weakness and in our struggles. And what I love is that at the end of this account, the very thing that Jesus called the disciples to do, they actually do. Right? Jesus tells them, you give them something to eat. The disciples say, how can we do this? It's going to cost us way too much. Jesus says, well, what, what do we have? And then he takes and he multiplies all the food. And you could read in Mark that he gives the food to the disciples to give to the crowds. So the very thing that he told them to do, they end up doing in the end. And what they give fully satisfies the crowd. The end of Mark says they ate and they all were satisfied. And there were 12 baskets of leftover. They were not just given a morsel or an appetizer, they were given a full meal that satisfied them. Brothers and sisters, we live in a world that is longing for satisfaction. All of life seems to be the pursuit of satisfaction for many of us relationally, vocationally, financially, and personally, often we are never satisfied. This is probably a whole other sermon that I could preach for you at this time, but let me, as I conclude, just say this. True satisfaction will not be found in your job ever. True satisfaction will not be found in that relationship you have or that relationship you long for. True satisfaction will not be found through this church, through your friends, through your health, through your abilities, through anything else but Jesus and Jesus alone. When we begin to believe that the true satisfaction we need and we long for is provided for us by our Good Shepherd, man, would that motivate us and strengthen us and prepare us to serve Him. May we be people that believe our Good Shepherd continues to satisfy our needs, And may we realize that we and the world around us is longing for a shepherd to lead and guide us. And we have the good news that Jesus is the good shepherd who gives us everything we need. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for your son and for his work for us on the cross. And for his love for us and guidance and grace. Father, may we rest in that, and may we believe that you continually love and feed us today, even as we get a small glimpse of this, as we are about to take of this feast that you provide for us. Father, thank you for your love and your care for us. In your name, amen.